Hey everybody, thanks for joining us at the Central and Janesville podcast. Please remember to check us out on centraljanesville.com throughout the week. We're excited for wherever God's got you at right now, and we hope this message brings you a little closer. Thanks. Um, today we're going to be going into a, a new series. I'm excited about this series. Um, it's going to be a series on generosity. And generosity does not seem like it's one of those things that you and I are born with. You don't believe me? I, I, I suggest watch a two-year-old for like 30 minutes. There's a 95% chance that they are going to do something where it, they're not going to share food. Uh, they're going to actually probably take food from somebody. They're not going to share a toy. They're going to take toys from people. And they're going to be mad about it and mean about it. That's just kind of the way we are. If, if a two-year-old does give food to somebody, it's probably because they took it out of their mouth and handed it over to them. Like, that's how they do it. No lie, there are times at my house where there are things that I want to eat so bad, I don't care if it's like a week out, I am tempted to lick it myself and put it in my mouth so my kids won't ever eat it. I know that sounds really wrong, but I, I'm, I'm very, very selfish with my food. I've got, I've said this before, I have up in a, a top counter that I can't even reach, um, honestly. I got all my really good yummy foods up there, and my kids know that like, that's the one place they don't go. Because if I find them getting into that bin, and they, they'll sometimes be like, Dad, can I have some chocolate from the bin? And like, I know I'm going to end up saying yes, because I have to. I'm a, I'm a dad, but like, I make it so that they'll never want to ask me again. Um, it's just the way I am. I'm not, not super generous. And I, I've said this before about generosity, but it's just so you understand, like generosity has not been easy for me most of my life. When I was in college, I still remember, my, my sisters were starting to get into that place, one older, one younger, where they were, they were going and like buying actual Christmas gifts for me. And so I started to feel really guilty. But I also was really cheap. And so I went to the dollar store. And I got them like two things probably. I um, also got my mom and dad things at the dollar store. And the the thing that I love about it most, my, my sisters still are mad at me. I was so cheap that I'm like, well, I'm going to write my mom and dad a poem, and I'm going to put it into a dollar store frame. And the reason they got so mad at me is because my mom opened it and she cried. <laughs> Best $2 I ever spent, you guys. It was awesome. So I think in a lot of ways, generosity it is something that we have to learn. It's not it's not just natural to us. And actually, it reminds me a little bit of, there's a, a movie scene in one of the Indiana Jones movies, and I don't remember which one all the time because I, I was young, but he's going after the Holy Grail, and he gets, to this, um, he gets to this place between two mountains, and it's just this huge, long drop. And to get to the Holy Grail, he's got to actually cross, it says, like, you've got to take a leap of faith and cross this canyon. But he's looking out, and there's, it's just, thousands of feet down to his death. Finally, though, he takes this leap of faith, and as he takes the step, all of a sudden, the movie, it's really cool how it does it, like you see this path that he's able to walk across. And I think generosity is like that a lot of times. We look out and we're like, I don't know how I can be generous. I don't know how I can give more than anything that I'm given right now. And then we do it, and it's like, oh, that's how it happens. And I'm still going to be okay. It's a little bit like that movie. Generosity is a step of faith. And until you make that step of faith, you're not really going to see how you can be generous and still make it. Feels like falling off of a huge cliff sometimes. The idea of giving. Feels like it's a stretch. 
feels like, man, if I, if I give right now, I, don't, I literally don't know how I'm going to pay the bills. I don't know how I'm going to make it. I, like, I don't know how this is going to work. Now, it's actually been, a, it's, it's weird to say this, it's been like two years since we've actually done a sermon series on giving in any way. And it's been so long that a couple of weeks ago, this might, maybe a month or two ago, somebody actually came up to me and was like, when are we going to preach on, on talk about like giving and generosity? She was like all excited. I've never had somebody be wanting to have this preached about so bad. Now, the truth is, is we probably don't talk about it enough. Because there's something that happens with our heart when we are willing to give. Uh, I think Jesus talks about giving a lot because he knows how important it is to our hearts not to get so focused on money, so, so holding on tight to our money, and to be able to be generous with it. So I think at least, at least partly as a pastor, what happens for me is I never want anybody to walk out of a church service with the impression that the, the church is just wanting their money. Uh, but there is a fact of the matter that there's not a church around that can survive without some sort of support. But we never aim to be a church that talks about money in order to keep its doors open. And here's what we believe as a church. I think this is a scriptural thing that I think we believe as Central Christian Church. It is never about what my giving does for God. It's about what my giving does for my heart. The reason we want to talk about this is I, I really believe, and I, I'm saying this from my own life, once I learned a little bit more what generosity looks like, and I still have plenty to learn, believe me, it, it became a better thing for my heart. And I believe that that's a scriptural truth for us as we look through this series. And so uh, we're going to take a three-week look, uh, just a short look at generosity. And my hope, honestly, is that this is not something that you dread hearing. My hope is that this is something that excites you. Last night, I got a chance to go uh, to a fundraiser dinner for HealthNet. And it was actually awesome just being in a place where people were getting excited about giving so that people in our community could actually get free health care. Um, there's something that's exciting when, when we give ourselves in generosity to things that matter. And I believe that what the church is doing, I believe it matters. So how does God want to use my generosity to get my heart in the place where he wants it to be? That's the question for us this morning. And so we're going to take a look real quick at, at one small verse. There's one tiny little verse that I think has a lot of depth for us that we can weed through this morning. It's Proverbs 3 verse 9. It says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. All right. One tiny little verse. I think it has wide-ranging effects for us. Um, but it also is not recommended as, as a person gets up and preach to just preach off of one verse and take that one verse and throw. There is a, a lot of context that goes into even one verse like this. This is a verse that comes out of the Old Testament, out of the book of Proverbs. Uh, it's one of the books uh, that we call the, the books of wisdom, the wisdom literature. And in, in the book of Proverbs, you see verse after verse of, of this guy just telling us all these things that are wise for us to think about, to think through. And and this is, this is one of those wise sayings. And this wisdom saying is, it is talking about giving the first fruits of all your crops to the Lord. There are some things I think that need discussing when it comes to this idea of first fruits. What in the world is first fruits? This is, a, this is probably the best translation of this Hebrew word that we see written here. This Hebrew word is called reshit. I even rolled my R's for that because that's what the guy on the internet did. So... Uh, here is, here's the list of words that reshit 
means. It is first, it's the beginning, it is the best or the choice part. The best part of your crops. So what this proverb is, is telling people in the context of this old culture is I want you to take the absolute best part, the first part, the choice part of your crops, the part that you, you look at as you're, as you're digging it out of the ground and you're like, man, I wish that my family could eat this because this is the best part of it. You know when you go to Skelly's Farm and you grab the perfect strawberry? That's what I'm talking about. You got the, the perfect strawberry, and then you got the one that's like not totally in yet. It's kind of green. Or the one that's been sitting on the ground for a while, and it's completely moldy at this point. We're talking the choice, for, the choice fruit. He's saying, take that very best part. Give it over to the Lord. Now, I don't, I don't know if we have many farmers in here. I don't know if Joe is in here this morning or not from Skelly's Farm. But um, we don't really own crops, most of us. That's just not something we do. Uh, you might build a garden. We're working on the garden now. Um, gardens are fun. But what, what were crops for these people that this proverb is speaking to? The crops were the wages of their really hard labor. They would work and, and toil the, and, and the ground. And it's like, this is hard stuff because they don't have the machinery that we do. And then the wages of that labor was they would get these crops. And from those crops, they could eat their food, obviously, but they could also trade. They could use that almost as a form of currency. And so in our context, what, what are these crops? It is our money. It's this thing that we work for, the wages of all this labor that, that we are doing in the world. But I think first fruits with money looks a little different than first fruits with crops. Again, uh, with, in a crop, you can pick, pick out the best thing. Uh, a really good corn on the cob, it costs more than a kind of a not-so-good corn on the cob. A really good piece of fruit costs more than a piece of fruit that doesn't look good. That's why when you go to the store and everything's molding, they're trying to sell it to you on clearance, and you're like, I still don't want to buy it. it that just doesn't look appetizing. Cash is not like crops. Uh, the money that you get, uh, half, a lot of you, it's probably direct deposited into your account. What does it look like to have the first fruit of your money? Because uh, you could, literally, you could take a dollar bill and you could blow your nose into it and it still costs a dollar. Don't do that. All right, if, if you give me a dollar bill and I see you blow your nose into it, I'm going to tell you, yeah, you might keep that. I don't need it. If it's a $20 bill, I'm going to be a little bit more tempted. I'm still probably not. If it's a $100 bill, pretty sure even though I'm a germaphobe, I'm taking that $20, $100 bill. If it's a $1,000 bill, just, I mean, you could like throw up on it for all I know. But money doesn't change value. And so what's the first fruit? What's the first fruit of, of the money that we bring in? What it is, is it's, this, it's the first, it's the beginning, it's the right off the top. It's the idea that in order to honor the Lord with my wealth, I am going to make it my first priority to give back to him some of what he's given to me. It means before I pay the bills, before I pay the groceries, buy the groceries, before anything else, I know what, I, I know what that first part of the money that God has blessed me with, I know where it's going to. And that is a scary thought for people. I get it. It's a really scary thought for people. Um, before I go any further, uh, because this is, this is what happens in our, in our culture, I think. We look for out clauses. We look for loopholes. And a lot of times what happens is when people start talking about giving, giving your first fruits, tithing, all that stuff, the, the thing that we want to say is, well, that was, that was for the Old Testament. That was, that was something that was prescribed in the Old Testament that's not for today. Uh, and we, 
we want to make loopholes to make things easier on ourselves a lot of time. And the, the truth is, yes, some of that stuff from the Old Testament is different now. Uh, but, I mean, we, we don't have to sacrifice animals. I'm really happy for that. Uh, we don't have to do a lot of things that were in the Old Testament. We are under the grace of Jesus. And that is an absolutely beautiful thing. But if you think that in the New Testament, Jesus actually just makes things way easier for us and prescribes us to do less good things and we can get away with stuff and do whatever we want, that's not actually what Jesus does in the New Testament. In fact, if you look at his most famous sermon of all, the Sermon on the Mount, I would actually contend that I think Jesus actually puts an even, he kind of ratchets up the tension of how we're supposed to live. He actually makes it a little bit harder sometimes, I think. Matthew 5.20, he says this, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now you read that and you're like, whoa, how am I ever going to get to heaven if that's the case? I want you to understand, what Jesus was trying to do here was he was trying to break down the mindset that a lot of religious people had back in this day. In his time, these, these overly religious people, they believed that, if man, if you just follow rules, follow laws, do everything that the Old Testament says, exactly how you're gonna, supposed to do it, you're going to be okay. That's what's going to get you into heaven. That's what's going to make you righteous. But while a person can do all things right and follow every rule, it does not mean that a person's heart is right. That's what Jesus was trying to say in this Sermon on the Mount. He's trying to show us that righteousness does not come from obeying a law. Righteousness is a matter of heart. And even that matter of heart, we are going to fail at, fail at it at times. And so what Jesus was trying to get people to understand was the only way to that kind of righteousness that you've sought out by following rules, the only way to that righteousness is actually through me, through Jesus. It's the only way you're going to get there. It's the only way you're going to be seen as righteous so you can get to heaven. So what he says in Matthew 5, 21 and 22 is, it's actually, I think, really difficult for the people of that day to hear, and I think it's probably difficult for us to hear too. He says, you've heard what it was said to the people long ago. You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to death, to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in the danger of the fire of hell. And then he went on a, little, a few verses later. He said, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully and has committed adultery with her in his heart, has committed adultery with her in his heart. I want you to catch what Jesus did in these two passages. He took the two commandments that I think most people, at least looking at the Old Testament, would have been like, those are the big ones. Don't commit murder. Don't commit adultery. He takes those two commandments, those, those two laws, and he actually makes them even more difficult to attain. Because instead of just saying don't murder, he's saying don't even hold anger in your heart towards somebody. You realize that the Old Testament was actually kind of, kind of holding a low bar here. Like, just don't murder. Like, that's, that's not hard not to do, right? Like, people don't go around and look at you and be like, man, you are doing great. You have never murdered anybody. Nobody's ever said that. Nobody's ever walked around and been like, man, you deserve a gold star. You've never cheated on your spouse. 
People don't, that's a low bar. And so what Jesus is doing here is he's actually raising the bar for us. He's saying it's actually a matter of your heart. He wants your hearts. He wants our hearts to live in submission to him, not just to follow rules. And so that's why he says in Matthew 9, he says it's not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous but sinners. He's saying mercy is greater than sacrifice. And see, the thing about sacrifice is I can sacrifice without things really coming from my heart. It is really hard for me to have mercy without that being a heart-birthed kind of thing. Jesus is saying, it is all about what comes from your heart. I don't care if you can just follow rules the right way. What is coming from your heart? Because that's, that's when things change. Sinners who are won over by God's mercy realize that it is not just enough not to murder somebody. If Jesus loved me enough that while I was still deserving of death, he went to the cross and died for me, then the very least that I should do is instead of just being okay with I haven't murdered people I'm mad at, I should actually work to let that anger be taken over by the grace and mercy of Jesus. That is the kind of change that Jesus is calling us to. God wants my heart, not my ability to follow rules. As people who will always fail at righteousness, God doesn't care so much about getting us to follow rules. He wants, us to, he wants to get us to follow his heart. That is what God is after. That's what Jesus is trying to do for us. So that's where we come back to this issue of money. I got into murder and adultery there for a little bit, but let's get back to money. It'd be easy to say that the concept of tithing is an Old Testament thing. What's the concept of tithing? In the Old Testament, is giving 10% of what God gives to you back to God. One-tenth of it. And it'd be really easy for us to look and say, that is an Old Testament concept. Uh, it's not something that we need to follow. Uh, it's outdated. God doesn't need me to, to follow that rule. God doesn't need my money. Here's the thing. I actually agree with those last couple parts. I don't think that God has to have your money. I don't think that God needs you to give money. God is going to do whatever he wants to do in the way that he wants to do it. God has infinite doors to open up. If I'm not faithful, I believe there's probably a great chance God's going to open up another door because he's got infinite doors for it. That's why when it comes to giving, it's actually about my heart. God wants me to become generous to help my heart. Now, I don't want to be too casual in in these statements, though, okay? I will reiterate, yes, the church, to go forward, any church body, it needs financial backing. I'm not lying about that. You know, we're, obviously, we're buying this property, and it, it costs a lot of money. I want to say this. We're also not preaching about generosity right now simply because we're all of a sudden going to be buying a building. We, we realize it's been a while since we talked about this, and it is a, it is a real matter of the heart. The generosity that comes from us, it's an absolute matter of the heart and God's heart for us. Just like not murdering somebody is not good enough, not committing adultery is not good enough, just tithing is not good enough. It's about where our heart is at. That's what God is after. And so I want to take you a little further into the Sermon on the Mount here. Later on in in chapter 6, Jesus says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. One of my questions I want you to think through is, what is going to get first access to your heart? I think there's a lot of us that if we're going to be honest with ourselves, first access to my heart sometimes becomes the things of this world, the things that my money can buy. Is first access to my heart actually the things that God wants to do in the world? What is getting first access to your heart? Because I think this is, this is true. Whichever gets first access to your heart is going to get full access. If I give my, my heart completely over to my money and to the things it can buy, if I give it first access, I'm probably giving it full access. And that's the thing I'm going to be thinking about most. You cannot serve both God and money. If your heart is given over to your money, if your trust is found in your money, it is impossible then to give your heart and your trust over to God in the same way that you would have. There are some real great reasons, I think, why, why this writer of Proverbs writes about, about giving in this way, of, of giving the first fruits of what we have to God. It's changing, kind of changing the mindset of how we, of how we act about our money. It's giving that first and that best part of what we have to give to God. So I want to explain uh, just real quickly, I think, why choosing generosity first is actually the healthiest thing for our spirits as we go forward. I think the reason it's healthy is because of this. Your heart is going to go somewhere, and it can't go to both God and money. You are going to choose one or the other. You might think, man, I, I don't have to choose one or the other. I can choose both. I can be, my heart can be in a good place. We are automatically going to choose one or the other, either God or money. The question is, which one is it going to be and how is it going to be? Generosity takes my mind and my heart off of myself and it puts it on the things that God has for this world. Is your heart actually serving your wants and desires first or is it serving God's desires for you? God's desires for the people around you. I want you to understand, none of this kind of sermon is, is put out there to, to meaning to guilt anybody. Um, there probably should be a little bit inside every single one of us that would say, yeah, you know what, my heart isn't, doesn't go over to God first all the time. Every day I struggle with this, this sin nature where my heart goes to something else other than God. But what's so awesome about the money aspect is it's, there's, there's a, a prescription for an easy way how we can work at getting our heart to go to God first. I get that this doesn't sound easy to become generous with our money if that's something that's a struggle for us. It might not even seem like it's feasible at the moment. Uh, you might be thinking, man, if I started giving 10%, of everything that God gave to me, like, I couldn't, I couldn't live. I wouldn't be able to buy groceries for my kids. It would be tough. But I wonder, how, how do we know that when it comes to our giving, God doesn't have in mind sort of an Indiana Jones kind of experience for us? One of those experiences where you get up to this ledge and you're like, God, I don't know, I don't know how you're going to take care of me in this situation. I don't know how you're going to take care of me if I choose to be generous in this kind of way. And then you take that step of faith and all of a sudden you realize that God actually provides what he needs to provide. He provides the path for you. 
That's an awesome, incredible moment when we see God working in our lives in that kind of way. What if the path to a better way forward financially and for your spirit was actually to trust God and let him do more with the 90% than you're doing right now with the 100%? I'm telling you, I know for a fact in my own life, God has done way more with the 90% or so that, that Crystal and me keep than the 100% if I would have kept it to myself. If you don't think that God is miraculous, maybe you won't believe that. But if you believe that God is a God of miracles and can bring anything to life that he wants to bring, you'll actually go, okay, that sounds legit that God could, could make more out of the 90% than what I would keep with the 100%. Or maybe you're looking at it and you're going, I don't, okay, I just, I don't know how I could give 10% off the top like that. What about 1%? Do you believe that God could actually challenge you and grow you by just starting a little bit? Learning to be a little bit more generous, just with a little bit. Can God grow your faith just a little bit? See, the reason that our generosity is such a big deal is because we struggle most with this idea of, are my needs going to be met? In fact, I wouldn't even say it's my needs, it's our wants. There are a lot of things in this world that I want, and I do whatever I can to make sure that I can get those things. All that candy that's up in that one part of my my counter way high. I know that each of those candy bars are only worth like 250 or 3 bucks, but man, I will I'll go to the end to make sure I can buy those things. When God meets our needs though, it is the the biggest faith builder that we will ever experience. When you see God start to meet physical needs, financial needs, I'm telling you it will grow your faith more and more every time. And so the, the next verse after this first fruits verse in Proverbs, I think it's really telling. Uh, so again, Proverbs 3, this verse 9 was, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. And then he goes on to say, Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. Now, I'm, I'm going to be honest, there's a lot of preachers who I've, I've heard preach this, and they're like, See, you give, and you're going to get more. I don't, I'm not going to say that. If, you're, if you give thinking, oh, if I give this, God's going to give me exactly that or, or more and beyond. You're not, you're not actually giving in trust. You're giving thinking that God is your lottery ticket. That is not what God is about. It won't necessarily make you rich by giving more money, but it will fill your barns to overflowing. What does that mean? doesn't necessarily mean it's going to fill your bank account. Your vats will brim over with new wine, not with necessarily cars or jewelry or clothes. But God will give you what you can make use of. The promise of this, of this proverb is actually not saying it's about material gain. It's about, it's about what God can do through you going forward. I love how Matthew Henry says it. He says, those that do good with what they have shall have more to do good with. Not more for your own sake, but God will continue to bless you so that you can continue to be more and more of a blessing. We act too oftentimes like God's resources are limited. I know I act like God's resources are too limited. You know, all of our married life, even before I was married, I, I've wanted to practice the, the, the idea of tithe, giving 10%, even giving a little bit more. But can I tell you what? It doesn't mean that there still aren't times where I doubt God's ability to provide. There are a lot of times where I doubt God's resources. I think that's in every single one of us. 
I don't care how much you give, how generous you might ever be, giving a little more is always going to be a stretch. It's difficult to believe that God provides. But I also say that stretch of faith grows us in ways that I don't know if anything else can grow us. Now, I'm not just saying that you should be generous with every dime in the world that you have. Never, don't just go out and like, I'm going to give away all my money. I don't know if that's the wisest thing. Realize, Jesus told one guy in the Bible, go and sell everything you have and then come follow me. He said that to one guy. The reason he said it to that one guy is because that guy had, there was such a hold that money had on his heart that the only way that that hold was going to be let go of is if Jesus is like, you give away everything and then come follow me. Jesus didn't say that to everybody. He calls us to wisdom. But I, I will say this. I believe wisdom actually is choosing to be generous also. Bad things happen in my heart when I fail to be generous. Honestly, look at, look at the richest people in the world. Now, a lot of rich people, they give plenty, but they still have tons also. And something happens when we get so consumed in being able to buy anything that we possibly want to. Things happen in our hearts and, and things can get dark and they can get ugly. But when we become generous, I'm telling you, I've, I don't think anybody's ever said that, that Mother Teresa had a bad heart that she was a bad person. People look at generous people and they're like, that, there's something right about that. Your money is never going to make you as secure as you think it will. And it will surely never give you the security that God will ultimately bring you when you learn to trust him first. Our money is not the place to find our security. Now, there's things that I, that I ask my kids to do sometimes, things that they, they really don't like to do. Um, when I ask my, my, my two littles, hey, you need to, I don't ask them, I tell them, you need to finish up your homework before you have lunch, and then maybe, then I say, you know, if you do all that, then you, you can watch a show with lunch maybe. And then they're like, oh, I, I heard I can watch a show, and they obey that no matter what. They, there's things that they hear that is really easy to follow, but then there's other things that they hear that is not so easy to follow, not so easy to obey. Giving of our first fruits back to God, it is actually an obedience issue. I say this when we're disobedient, God doesn't just cast us aside. I don't just cast my kids aside because they don't listen to one of the things that I told them they should do that will be good for them. But there is a reason that God asks us to become generous people. It's not because it's the easy thing to do to be obedient to, it's because it's the healthy thing for us to become obedient to. Putting God over everything else, putting God over our finances, putting God over the things that we want, it's the right thing for me to do for my heart. Now, I know that the things that we're talking about today can be a challenge to hear. I know it might seem, for some of you, it might, you might be like, I have no margin in my life right now to give and be generous. Can I maybe put this out there as a different way to think about it? My heart has no margin not to be generous right now. I'm telling you, I know when I give in and, and I don't become generous like God asks me to be, my heart just gets a little tighter. My heart just gets a little bit more wrapped up in me, a little bit more wrapped up in the things that I want rather than the things that God wants. And I think God wants us to be wrapped up in what he wants us to be wrapped up in what the things of, of God. I want you to understand, Jesus did not have to be generous to us. 
He did not have to go to a cross for us. But in his mercy, he was willing to sacrifice for us. He did it out of love. And that's how we see the love of God every single day through what he did on the cross in that generosity. I think generosity is a must for us if we want to be healthy in the ways that God wants us to be healthy. We give back to God a little bit of our finances and because it, it actually follows the heart of Jesus. Because Jesus paid the ultimate price with his life. I want you to understand this goal is not just for you and me to be generous with money. It's to grow us into generosity in every area of our lives. It's so that I can become more generous in my mercy, in my love, in my grace for people, in my patience for people. If I'm holding on to to my money without being willing to be generous, what happens is there is a lot of other things in life that I choose. I I haven't grown this idea of generosity and I don't have it in me now to give grace to you. Generosity in this area is just a start for generosity in every other area, for a life of generosity. So today, I want you to understand, God is never trying to put a guilt trip on you about this kind of stuff. What he's doing is he's reminding us through his word that what he wants more than anything else is he wants our hearts. Is God actually getting the first part of your heart when it comes to what he has given to you, what he's blessed you with? And you can say, man, I work so hard for my money. Yeah, but God still blesses us with the ability to do that. Am I giving that first part of my heart back to God? You may not understand it, but putting God first in this area of your, your life, I think it actually becomes one of the most freeing things that we can do. Instead of me worrying about my money all the time, all of a sudden, I, I can begin to watch God grow the things around me and grow my heart to be the, the heart that Jesus wants it to be. God asks things of us that seem backwards all the time. And even in those things that he asks us that seem backwards and like, what are you you doing, God? He always makes it work out. He always has a reason for it. There's a reason why he asks us to be generous. Let's ask God today to help us to follow in what he's asking of us. It might be different for some of us than it is for other people. But are we listening to God? Are we letting him take hold of our heart to become a generous person? Thanks again for joining us on the Central and Janesville podcast. Remember to check us out at centraljanesville.com. Have a great week.